Thank you for joining us at Praise Chapel Paramount. We hope you enjoy this message from our Sunday morning service with singer-songwriter Brandon Reed. Also, we'd love to hear what God has done in your life. To share your story, email us at info at pcparamount.org. Again, we hope you enjoy this message. I love that song. I love it because it means something to me. <clears throat> this morning, I'm going to switch gears here. And uh, thank you. Appreciate that. Normally, my uh, I'm kind of a, like I said, I, I, I'm from Dallas, Texas. Oh, come on, somebody. And uh, this morning, first, I just want to say that. I'm not going to take too long this morning, but second service, if you can, stick around, stick around, because I think in the second service, I'd like to pray for you. And uh, I believe God's given me something in my heart to pour into people who specifically battle with fear and anxiety. And I'm going to talk a little bit about my testimony. And uh, yesterday morning, I was in Huntington Beach, and I, I came down here with my wife because she does microblading and temporary tattooing cosmetics and so she had some training so I said if I have to suffer for Jesus I guess I'll go to Huntington Beach and I'll I'll, I'll be there's a hotel down there called the Kimpton Kimpton Shoreline and it was just awesome so I had some time there and I I got up yesterday morning I was reading and I've been really seeking the Lord the last several months and especially the last couple weeks because I feel like I have something in my heart to share and it's different than what my dad did. My dad was was a was a dope fiend. He was a heroin addict. You know, he was he came from San Quentin Penitentiary and years in prison. Shooting heroin in his arms is all he ever really knew. And when he came out of prison, he came into Teen Challenge, and the Holy Ghost got a hold of him, it's like dynamite blasted him out. God, sometimes people are so, my dad used to say, sometimes people are so deep in hopelessness and so deep in bondage and addiction, they need dynamite to blast them out. Come on. But some people, they just, whew, just need a little dusting. <laughs> right? Some of us aren't, we, we don't have that testimony. I used to go on the streets with my dad. My dad used to take me out. Come on, we're going out to the streets. You know, I'm going to take you to New York on the Bronx. You're going to testify. Be like, no, dad, I ain't going out on the streets. I ain't doing that. You're crazy. You take everybody else out there. But he would take us out. And I remember one time we're in either Brooklyn or the Bronx. I think it was the Bronx. We were staying in this little church, probably smaller than this. And, and, and there was probably 12 of us. He decided to take the youth from Portland, Oregon, where we were a pastor at the time, all the way to the Bronx on this missions trip. My dad would go and preach on the streets, right, like he did here with Pastor Omar and everybody else in Praise Chapel. But then he, he would take teams out with him. So he decided to take the youth. And I was 16 at the time. And I remember... One day, uh, he, we were passing out tracks, and we went down into this cul-de-sac uh, cul area. We pulled the bus up, and every, this is back in, like, the 90s, where we, we would just take, like, songs from, like, <laughs> the Wu-Tang, or we'd take songs from, like, you know, get out with G-O-D. We'd, we'd, we'd change and plagiarize every single song that we have that was popular, you know, and we'd flip the lyrics, and 
we draw a crowd, and then we testify. And then we go to the houses and pass the tracks and invite them to come to the church service. You all know the drill. You know what's up. <laughs> and I remember specifically one day we went down, and I went to the very end of the cul-de-sac, and there was this house and this little wooden stairs with the railing went up to it. And I walked up, and this African-American girl was down behind a screen door. And I could tell by when I walked up, she had a little baby crying at her knees, and I could tell she was busy. And she walked up. I walked up on, the, on, on her steps, and I could tell she looked at me like, oh, no, here he comes, you know, going to tell me about Jesus. Or she gave me that look like, white boy, get off of my porch. That's the look she gave me. And I walked up there, and I began to tell her about the Lord, you know. Ma'am, this is what we're doing. You know, my dad's going to be preaching. You know, you should come out to the service. Jesus loves you. I give her my whole spiel, right? My, my hardcore heavy testimony being raised in church. You know, uh, that, that's, that's how I really identify with her. But I was taught boldness, so I began to share with her, you know. She was just cold like ice. Like, and then I walked away defeated, like, man, what's up with that? I, I couldn't do it. So as I was walking away, a friend of mine, Rosa, was coming around the same age. said, Rosa, you're Hispanic. You're a girl. Go up there. Maybe you can reach her, you know. Like she's, it's, she didn't like my delivery. So Rosa went up there, same thing, a little bit more, you know, gentle, but wasn't having it. Next thing I know, I see my dad, he's walking down the street with his little limp that he had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's looking at everything, checking things out, liking what he sees, happy that people are witnessing. He's just feeling good. And he's got his Kangol hat on, this Stacy Adams, you know, he's walking around. I said, Dad, I told him, I went there, she ain't having it, you know, I I grabbed Rosa, Dad, go down there. Maybe, maybe you, I just felt something with this girl, you know? And my dad walks up, and I'll, I remember it like it was yesterday. He walked up, he put his hands on the railing, and he just looked at her like this. This is all he said. The girl, I could tell she was strung out, you know, baby's crying, screen door open. And all he says, he looks at her and says, come on, girl. And she just... Come on, come on back to Jesus. And I was like, what the heck? Look at this. What are you doing? You know? But I'm 16, and I'm marveling at what's going down here. It's because he identified with the struggle. He's been there. You know what I'm saying? He understands that. And there's a genuine anointing and compassion because he knows what it feels like to struggle to be hopeless. And she felt that Jesus was drawn out of them. Sometimes we think that we got to bring a heavy sermon or we got to bring a a serious message. But that's not all the case. So this morning, as I was up yesterday morning, I said, God, what do you want me to do? How do I do this? Because my thing is songwriting. You've given me the gift to write songs. I'm not my dad. What do I do? And he just told me, tell them your story. Just tell them. People need to know what you have to say. People need to know. Now, my story was not, I, I, like I said, I was raised in, in church. You know, I did the right things and, and uh, was involved with youth, worship, all that stuff. Giving my life to the Lord. I got married when I was 22, 21, 22 years old. Um, Started my own business in graphic design. Started web developing during the dot-com era. You know, programming, sitting behind a computer all day, just looking at code. 
running my own business, working for the church, back and forth, and just really pursuing uh, a career in ministry and, and an entrepreneur, just making money, you know. And I was always the tenacious type, but always like, you know what? I don't know if I can afford a house, but let's go ahead and get one. <laughs> you know, I don't know if I can afford that car, but let's get the top of the line. And I would just like, I was tenacious, but I would just, you know, you couldn't tell me no. I was just a young kid full of ambition in life and full of determination. Like anything I put my, my mind to, I could do. And uh, I knew I wanted to do something like my dad, but something different. I wanted to be me, you know. And as I got older, uh, I, I just, Anna, my wife Anna and I had a, we've been married for this year, it'll be 20 years. And uh, I decided, we decided that we want to have some kids. So um, we had kids and we had twins. I, and I never, I tell people this, there's two things in life that I never, ever thought I, ex- I would experience. One is having twins, because twins are like, I saw the twins up here that were playing. Where are they at? <laughs> I spotted you when you got out of the car. I was like, twinsies, see ya. <laughs> and you're identical. I saw that. I spotted that. My boys are identical as well. But when I used to see twins, like back in the day in the 90s, in high school, you'd see them like double mint gum, you know, like Wrigley's spearmint gum, double the, and you'd be like, oh, twins, oh, that's just funny, you know, look at them twins. I have twins, and I love them. It's the coolest thing in the world. Nobody can tell them apart. I can. Asher and Judah, they're 14 years old. So I never, ever, ever thought that I'd have twins. No way. Me? And the second thing I never, ever thought I'd ever have to experience or in life was that I would have struggled with a mental disorder. I used to think people that when they said they were depressed or they struggled with some sort of mental thing, like, dude, you got Jesus. Get over it. What's your problem? How can you be depressed and have Jesus? It doesn't make sense to me. So I had zero familiarity with that. I just looked at it as like something that was like a weakness. Like, dude, get over it. That's just you tripping. Well, that wasn't the case because after I had twins... I decided to move from Portland, Oregon, all the way to Dallas, Texas. And naturally, being me, when you move to Dallas, what's the first thing you do? You don't settle into a house you can afford. You buy a brand new house that's huge that you can't furnish (laughs) because it's a deal and you want to get the biggest house you can because the mortgage rates are right and blah, 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 right? And at the same time, why don't I go ahead and start my own business again? And here I am grinding, 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 grinding. I turn 30 years old, make a long story short, All of a sudden, I begin to do strange things. I find myself checking things, you know. I would sit there, check the door. Did I lock it? I drive away. I come back. Did I lock it? I need to go back and check it again. I need to go back and check it again. Uh, Did I wash my hands enough? I have to wash my hands three, four, five times repeatedly. I had these repetitions that I'd do, just thinking it was normal that I was just, I needed to kind of make sure certain things were done. That led over the course of the next couple years into this whirlwind of anxiety and whirlwind of uncontrolled uh, patterns that I would establish. Didn't know what it was, had no idea. All I knew is that it was affecting my marriage because I'd ask my wife crazy things. I had to confess things to her faults that I thought years ago. I have to bring up past sins in my life, confess them enough. Am I confessing it enough? There was this thing. And finally, it was destroying my marriage. It was, it was making me feel depressed. It was taking a hold of my life. 
so much to the point where my wife said, you need to get help. And she actually diagnosed me, my wife. So I think she looked it up online. <clears throat> I, th <laughs> I think you have obsessive compulsive disorder. What the heck? What is that? I have no idea what that is. At this point in my life, it was, I could barely leave the house. It would take, it would take me, honestly, and I'm not exaggerating, it would take me 30 minutes to leave my house. You look at me now, I don't, and it's totally contrary, Pastor, to who I was. I wasn't raised that way. I was raised in Southern California, Portland, and I was raised thinking, manana, don't worry about it. <laughs> It's going to take care of itself, you know. It's all right. I was laid back. That's how I was. So this is totally opposite of who I am. But it was just taking control of my life. The thing about obsessive-compulsive disorder is this. It's obsession, right? You're, you worry. It's a constant worry. Did I lock the door? Did I tell my husband I love you? Does he know I love him enough? Am I, is this person I talked to at work, did I insult them? Did they think that I insulted them? And you can't shake the thought in your head. It's just repetitive. Boom, boom, boom. It won't leave until you do a compulsion, until you do an act of, did I check, I need to check the door to make sure I did it, okay? So there's a wiring problem in my brain that's happening that's just keeps, it steals all my time, steals all my effort throughout the day. And in the, in the process, I'm just tossing out garbage to everybody around me. And they're like, what is in the world has happened to Brandon? My family doesn't understand it. I'm real close with my in-laws because I moved from my family over with them to Dallas. They're like, we're losing our son-in-law. My wife's got to the point where she said, I'm going to, I can't do this anymore. I can't do it. Either you change or I can't be your garbage disposal, what you do. <sighs> Man, that was a heavy thing. I couldn't shake it. No matter how hard I tried to get rid of this anxiety, because the compulsion and the obsessiveness is all harnessed. I'm giving you, I'm painting you a picture of what I dealt with. It's all harnessed around anxiety. I'm talking anxiety that is so strong. I don't know if any of you have anxiety or experience anxiety. I'm talking about unwanted anxiety. See, I didn't understand that when I first started hearing people about depression, anxiety. I didn't understand that it was unwanted. I didn't want anxiety. I didn't feel the need to be pre feel pressure. But it was something that just sat on me. And it was something that it was relentless in, in pursuit. And when you give in to this compulsion, say I'm, I'm leaving the door, I want to check the door to see if it's locked, I would leave and it Oh, the, the anxiety of wanting to go back and check. Did I lock it? Did I lock it? Did I wash my hands enough? Did I confess enough? Did I do this enough? It was so strong that I, I, it was a, I was a slave to it. I had to go back and check it 14, 15 times, 16 times. I couldn't stop. And I was just saturated in fear to where it eventually, I didn't want to get out of bed in the morning. I'd sit there and this grown man would sit here and sob in bed. Ah, uh, I don't understand it. I can't. I can't do it. <laughs> and my friend, I remember you looked at me one time. One time, Pastor, I got up. I got up in the morning, and I'd had it. I'd had it. This is like a couple years into it. 
I had had it, and I got up, and I said, God, you blankety blank, blank you. I hate you. Why did you do this to me? I can't. I've given my life for you. I've done everything for you. How could you let this happen to me? And I walked, stormed out of the door, and I, I just walked away thinking, I'm going to go just hit the streets. That's what I was called to do. Maybe my dad was like that, and I'm just going to get the first thing I see, I'm going to get stoned, and that's gonna, I'm just going to leave my family, and I just walked away out my front door, and my friend <laughs> happened to just cut me off. And he would say, why are you doing this to yourself? Why are you torturing yourself? I said, Darren, you don't understand, man. I can't stop. I'm a slave to this thing. Then I find myself going to a clinic. I walk in, and... <laughs> It was called the Minerith Clinic. It was my, my in-laws set me up with one of the best doctors in all of uh, the country. We got to get him help. He's going to take his own life. You don't, we don't give him help. I get to the clinic. I sit down, and I see all of these crazy people around me. <laughs> I, I'm like, and this is my thought. I sit down in the chair. I don't know if I can sit on this. I sit down in the chair, and I'm like, what the heck am I doing here? Why am I here? This can't be. And I go back and I talk to this doctor and he starts asking me these questions. Uh, is it running your family? Does it this and this? Uh, what you're taking my blood, doing all this stuff, doing all these tests on me. Well, Brandon, you have obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD. He's like, great men have had it. Luther had it. You know, all kinds of people had it. How do I get rid of it? <laughs> well, it's genetic, you know. You, you, you can't get rid of it. You can learn to manage it, is what he told me. Oh, my God. He put me on medication. So I took medication. I'm, I'm, I'm giving you guys the short-term, quick 15-minute version of this. I'm kind of jumping around. But I want, I, I'm, I'm going to length to telling you the depth of this because it's no joke. Because I feel it's an epidemic of why people are going around, not specifically OCD, but it's, it's in the same thing. Why do you think people are going in with post-traumatic stress disorder, all different kinds of stuff, shooting up places. Why do you think people, kids, actors, have all the money in the world taking their own lives? Because it's something in their head that they can't get rid of. They're a slave to it. They feel hopeless. That's where I was. So he puts me on medication. You know, some people take 25 milligrams, 50 milligrams of Zoloft, a little bit of Xanax in there. I was on 300 milligrams of SSR a day, plus 10 milligrams of Xanax. I was pumping. I was drinking at the same time. I was doing whatever it took. You would have given me any sort of religious apparatus. I would have tried it to try to remedy my situation because I was desperate. I tried the Lord. I tried books. I tried, and they helped from time to time. I tried my dad praying for me. I tried my father-in-law praying for me. I went to different people. Pray for me. Pray for me. I fasted. I fasted. Is it demonic? Is it this and that? Is it something physical? What the heck is it? I can't shake it. And here I find myself, over the course of seven years, I battle with this. Seven, seven and a half years I battle with this thing. And every day, this is my process. And this may identify with some of you who battle with something similar to this, anxiety, depression. You wake up, and when you wake up in the morning, it's the hardest to get going. And you're like, if I can just make it through the day to where I can get back in my bed... <laughs> Fall asleep, then I'll be good. Because when you're asleep is the only time that you have peace. Because when you're awake, it's non 
stop. Obsessive, compulsion, obsessive, compulsion. Uh, uh, it's a snare, it's a trap. It's just a groove in your mind. And I'm a runner. I love long-distance running, Pastor. I, 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 I have a lot of endurance, but this thing, it took me. It took me. So I battled this for that long. So here I am in the middle of this whole process, back and forth, stop taking medication, take medication, relapse. And then one day, I'd walk up where I would normally go to pray in one of my unfurnished rooms that I couldn't afford. <laughs> I could just, like, get alone with God. And I'd get up there, and I'd, the whole time i just lay hold of the Lord, you know. And then I got up, right in my mid, you know, 36 years old, I think I'm at the time, and I have a dream. And, I'm, and this is what the Lord told me to tell you. Just tell them, Brandon, exactly what you experienced. I had a dream, and in my dream, there's a river. And on one side of the river, there's like a little green pasture. I'm laying down in the dream. On the other side, there's a rainbow. Hold on, this gets interesting. Just wait a minute. <laughs> and over the river, I hear, Brandon, Brandon, someone calling me. I wake up from the dream, and I feel in my heart, the Lord told me, come pray with me again. <laughs> uh, Lord, get up. Uh. Once you're awake, when you have depression like that, you can't go back to sleep, or you have anxiety. When you're awake, you're awake. So I get up. My wife's still asleep. I go to upstairs to my unfurnished room. This time, I go back further to another unfurnished room beyond that, <laughs> into the locker room or the gym room that has nothing but a mirror and a ceiling fan. And I'm sitting there, and I, I laid down, and I just said, God, I give up. I can't do this no more. I can't do it. That, the day before, I, I had had, I, I was out running and just trying to, like, you know, get off some, some steam. And I sat in the corner, and I just felt in my heart, you're going to die. I'm in this, this is going to take me. But here I am the next day, and I'm praying up in that room, and I just started to remind the Lord, Lord, what about all the things I've done for you, man? Lord, help me, help me. And for some reason, as I laid down, I looked at that ceiling fan, I, my, eyes, my eyes were puffy from crying, from praying, from laying all out. My vision was foggy, and I just had a vision in my head of Jesus when they laid him on the cross and when they stretched out his arms on the cross and I begin to parallel the story of the crucifixion as I'm laying there and I just I let it happen I didn't try to conjure it up but I just let it happen and I thought to myself man Jesus must have been really heartbroken when they drove nails through his hands must have been really heartbroken when they lifted him up must have been really heartbroken I felt abandoned when he said, Father, why have you forsaken me? And I began to understand, oh, Jesus suffered. He suffered just the way that I'm suffering. And I began to see. Before that, I would pray to the Lord, and I felt like he was like this. But I didn't understand. I didn't understand at the time. Just like Jesus, the gospel says that 
after Jesus was baptized, he was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, right? But what does it say? Who led him into the wilderness? The Spirit of the Lord led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. <laughs> that, don't, that won't preach very well on the success, <laughs> success things, but that's the gospel. So I sat there and I began to identify with the Lord and his suffering. And as, as I had that experience, I sat up and I felt a peace about me. And I, and I sat down against the door that I made sure two doors were locked because I knew if my wife hears me, she's going to for sure know that I lost it and I'm crazy. But I leaned against the door and I remember just taking a breath. <sighs> and pastor, out of nowhere, for whatever reason, I had a vision of my grandmother out of the left field, boom, come across my, my I wasn't even thinking, who thinks about their grandma? <laughs> I don't think about my grandma. My grandma had this white curly hair. She's little. But she was with my dad in Bellflower, I believe it was, Brother Cruz. And my, mom, my grandmother was one of those ladies where they had a Bible meeting or a life group, what we call them nowadays. She'd sit off in the corner, crisscross applesauce, just praying, clapping her hands. Oh, Jesus. Ha ha. They'd be like, never mind, Grandma. She's just, that's just Grandma. She's just praying. But she was full of the Holy Ghost. And my dad used to call her mother. And they had a relationship that was, they were both fiery people, knew the Holy Spirit. But for some reason, I had a flash of my grandmother. I don't know why. Who knows what the Spirit of the Lord does? And as I'm sitting there, I'm leaning against, I had that vision in my head all of a sudden. I began to shake uncontrollably, and out of my mouth uh, came a language. And it came with force. It didn't come with, I didn't conjure this up. And I, granted, I thought that I had been filled with the Holy Spirit, and I believe that I was as a kid. I thought I was. But this, this was, oh my God, what the heck? You're inside me, Lord. And it started to erupt and it came out with force, like a like a like a power, like a like a violent almost, like boom. And I felt like Jesus inside of me was taking over, like interceding on my behalf to the Lord. Like bam. And I and I sat there and for the first time. For the first time in years, I said, as, I, as it was happening and my mouth was going, I said, God, don't let it stop. Don't let it stop. I was like, I'm feeling free. And then it subsided. Whew. And then I remember during this period of time when I had relapsed back into this thing off my medicine, when I knew that I was going through it again, I said, Lord, I want to be able to laugh at this. That's how I want to overcome it. I want to be able to laugh at it. And after I was filled with the Holy Spirit, and I was like, had an epiphany, like, oh my God, all of a sudden that thing came on me strong. Like, boom, that anxiety just rushed in that room like I'd never felt it before. Like, I felt like the hell was in the room itself, like fear, oh my God. And then in my heart, a stillness and a love came into my spirit. So, Brandon. I love you. There's nothing that can ever take you away from me. I've got you. I've got you forever. Forever. And I sat there and I began to laugh. I thought, if my wife hears me right now, <laughs> she's going to lose it. 
And I started to laugh. And I'm not talking about, ha, 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 fake laughing. <laughs> no. I'm talking about, I'm in the fetal position. My abs are hurting. <laughs> because I'm like, oh, my God, I'm laughing. Now, it stopped. And I'm just blown away. Here's the kicker. I walk out of the place. I walk out of the room. Now, listen to me very carefully. I still had OCD. I still had it. But here's the difference, which I'll share in the second service. I knew he was with me. He's inside of me. Oh, my God, he's in me. That was for certain. So the second service, this is what I want to I teach more so, is that your foundation in this Christian walk is more than an idea, a, a glamorous array of this glorious idea of Christianity. If you don't have a, an experience with the Holy Spirit, your foundation is based upon your own idea. Now, that's where it starts. We believe but we go from glory to glory. And I want it to become evident. I want to bring an awareness of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because if we don't, church... We're going to find more and more people out that don't know what to do with their minds that we don't have a solution to because we're telling... We can, I could get up here and have a bunch of one-liners and say things that, that could hit Instagram and hit Motivation Monday hashtag, whatever you want to do. I don't want to do that. I'm so tired of that. Because when you're down, when you're hopeless, the last thing you want to hear is some preacher say something and some clever saying that he has. You're like, dude, you don't know what the heck. You, you've never heard in your life. You don't know what that's like. Oh, but Jesus, Jesus does. So I got good news for you. Next service, stick around because I promise you, not anything that Brandon's going to do, but it's what the Holy Ghost is here to do. That's why I felt, I felt him here this morning. You know, we can be believers and not have the fullness of the baptism of the Spirit. When does it happen, Pastor? Does it happen right after I'm baptized, when I get saved, and then I receive the gift of the promise? Listen, it's all over the place. Amen. Through the New Testament, it happened when they were in the upper room, right? The Holy Spirit fell on them. But then it happened to Cornelius with Peter. He wasn't even baptized yet. And he was a Gentile, for that matter. It happened to... Uh, John's disciples that were on the road to Ephesus when Paul runs into them and they said, have you believed and received the Holy Spirit? And they said, who's the Holy Spirit? What are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about, Willis? We don't, know what the, we, don't, we don't know what the Holy Spirit is. And he laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, you can't put a, this is where it happens, this is how it happens. Man, you try to do that, good luck. That, that, that ain't going to happen. But it happens when, his, when he wills it to happen. But it happens the most, I find, when you're in necessity of it. Obsessive compulsive, I'll close with this, OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. When I walked into a counselor one time, he, he explained this to me. He says, you know what, Brandon? I heard a definition of obsessive compulsive disorder, and it went something like this. The definition is the necessity to be certain. The necessity to be certain. I have to be certain about things. What does Paul say? Paul says, 
he talks about a deposit. Three times in the New Testament, Paul refers to, you were sealed with a deposit, guaranteeing your inheritance what is to come. So next service, I'm going to explain and help those struggling with some of this stuff to understand the only certainty you need to have is that your Father loves you. He'll never leave you. And no matter what you're facing, health, relationship, family, the things that you deem hopeless, that you just like, I tried it all, Brandon. That's when Jesus comes, when all hope is gone. That's what he glorifies in. So stand to your feet. And Daisy, can you come up here and play just for a second? Um, is that clock mean uh, T minus 40? <laughs> Does that mean I'm over or I have 10 minutes from that? Because the church starts at what, 11? Is that right? You know what it means when a preacher looks at his watch? Nothing. <laughs> Let's pray. Let's keep this simple. Stick around second service. And some of you be like, listen, Brandon, I don't know what you're going through. That's not me. It doesn't have to be apples for apples. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't have to be the exact same thing. God knows where you're at. I'm here for a reason. To impart into you an experience with Jesus. Jesus is the reason why we receive the Holy Spirit. He's, we get the Holy Spirit because Jesus gives it to us. And why does he give it to us? to go back and glorify Jesus. He's the ground and he's the goal of why we even have the Holy Spirit. It's all about Jesus, man. It's so amazing. And so I wonder if if if, if you're here this morning and we're just going to have an overall prayer, but stick around for the second service and I will pray for your specific need. But Father, we just come before you this morning, Lord. Lord, I feel your presence here right when I walked in this church, this beautiful body that you created, this church that has a history in sowing, a history in just investing, Lord, into people, into, into lives. God, the people here are so precious. Holy Spirit, I just loosen you to have your way in this place. God, we open up our hearts to you. We open up our lives. Lord, if there's anything in us that we've buried down and we just put away thinking that it's it's unreachable, or the things that we may be ashamed of. God, I pray those things would come back to the surface, Lord, would be called to the surface of our hearts by the sweet call of your love. Just as you called me, Lord, to come to you, you would call people to come to you this morning, Lord, and answer the call of your love. God, we thank you that we don't have to stir up or pretend your presence. Your presence is tangible. You said, Lord, you give us the Holy Spirit, and you would manifest it to us, and it would be in us. Father, thank you for that, Lord, that we don't have to be afraid of it, but we can rely and trust in it, Father. In Jesus' mighty name, Lord, we love you. We thank you, Father, for everything you've done. We give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen, amen. Amen. I'll see you second service. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's message from Praise Chapel Paramount. If you want to stay connected, follow us online with Facebook and Instagram at PC Paramount or visit our website at praisechapelparamount.com.